Let's pray for those who have gathered to worship you. We ask, Father, that your spirit would move among us, that we would experience your love and your grace again today. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us, that we would be open to your word and to your message through the song, through our prayer time. Father, we thank you for, for our ladies this morning and just for the blessing they are as they worship you, as they um, teach us, as they lead us, as they work in and amongst your people. And Father, they, they make a difference because of their love for you and your love for them and us. And so we, we pray that our worship would be pleasing. We pray that our minds would be open. And we pray that our, our spirits would hear and respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now we're giving thanks this uh, Thanksgiving season. Uh, we got two more weeks and then Thanksgiving is here. So uh, I hope you got the menu all figured out because that's usually the thing we start with. Uh, but more importantly, I pray that your spirit would begin to give thanks um, every day. And, and I know that some of you are facing some very difficult times this Thanksgiving season, um, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and walk with you, um, that the spirit of thanks would still be there um, despite the struggles that you face. In this morning's passage, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Um, the church at Corinth was having all kinds of problems. I mean, all kinds of problems. And Paul is pretty upset at what's going on. Uh, th- they thought they were pretty special people. Um, they, they experienced uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit, and because of that, uh, they assumed that God liked them better than most. Uh, they were fairly smart people, some of them anyway, and, and they thought because they were fairly smart that then God must think they're pretty special because he made them smarter than everybody else. Uh, you see, the church at Corinth thought they were pretty hot stuff. Um, and the truth of the matter is that in Christ we are pretty hot stuff. Uh, but it's because of Christ, not because of us. And Christ is doing incredible things in and through his people here in Greenfield. And he wants to keep doing that. And we need to recognize him uh, and his work. But we also need to be aware that it is Christ working through us. Uh, people some say, sometimes say to me, that was a great sermon, Pastor. Uh, I appreciate that. You're welcome to say that anytime you want. Uh, but, but I always recognize, or I try to always recognize, that the work that I do, if, if that's all you relied upon, you wouldn't have heard a great sermon. What makes it a great sermon is the Spirit of God speaking to you through His Word. And sometimes He uses one or two things I say to spark that in you. So it has nothing to do with me. So when you say, great sermon, Pastor, uh, recognize you're saying, Jesus, thank you for speaking to me this morning. So in our passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and the exciting thing is he always starts by giving thanks. No matter how bad people are, Paul finds something to thank God for. So if you would look with me at verse 4. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this God's most holy word. 
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being so wonderful to us. Even in the midst of the hardest moments of our lives, you, you never leave us nor forsake us. Draw us close to you this morning. Hear our prayer. Receive our worship. Transform our lives. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to, to share your word. Ask, Father, that you would speak this morning, that you would speak through me, though I'm unworthy, except by your incredible grace. So we come before you listening for you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This Thanksgiving season, we have uh, begun to uh, not just give thanks to God for things that we have received or things that we have. However, we're beginning to try, I hope anyway, uh, to give thanks for each other. And uh, so last week, uh, I encouraged you to give thanks uh, for someone of faith. And I hope that uh, during the week you were able to thank God for someone you know who has faith. And we talked about what all that meant. Um, This week, I would ask that you begin to think, even now, of a person of grace. And I would encourage you to think of a woman of grace. This is Women's Sunday, and it'd be great for us to stop and thank God for a woman we know who has grace, who has been filled with grace, and who has been transformed by grace. Um, And I hope that you, whether you're a male or a female, uh, have been touched by grace, and I pray that you would be transformed by grace, and that that would be visible in your life. We're going to talk about about what that's like. I want you to meet a person first. Her name is Grace. Grace Harper, or Hopper, I'm sorry, actually is her name. Um, she was really quite the, she was quite the incredible woman. Um, she was born to parents, one who was very gifted in mathematics, um, and however was born at a time when uh, women were, in this culture, were expected not to um, go out into the world and, and work, but rather expected to stay home. And, and so that's what her mother did, but her mother taught her mathematics and taught her a love for mathematics. Her father lost both his legs early on in life and despite that, believed anything was possible. And so he continued to work and he became an insurance broker. And because of those two things, Grace Hopper was transformed. And she began a love with mathematics. And she went to, uh, to school at age 16. She went to college. And she began to work, upon her, uh, work for her degree. She got a degree in mathematics from Vassar College. Uh, then went to Yale for her master's. And as she taught, she went back to Vassar to teach. She got her PhD at Yale at the same time. About that time, World War II broke out. And Grace Hopper decided to enter the Navy. Now, there was a problem with that in that Grace was 34 years old and considered too old. She was 120 pounds and considered too thin. And furthermore, the Navy said, you need to stay in civilian life to teach mathematics. 
Grace Hopper to have nothing to do with it. She wanted to serve her country that she loved, and so she, she got a, a, a waiver for the, for the age requirement, a waiver for her weight, and she uh, w- talked the Navy into accepting her, and she entered the Navy. As she began her work in the Navy, she began to work on what was called the Mark I computer. It was the first computer ever. And it wasn't very long before her commander came to her and said, Grace, I want you to write the COBOL manual. Now things have moved on. The COBOL manual for the Mark computer. And by that time, I think they were on the Mark IV computer, uh, which was the precursor to the UNIVAC. At that time, she said to her commander, but I've never written a book. He said, you're in the Navy now. And she wrote the book. Now, some have credited Grace with the term bug when it comes to a struggle with your computer, i.e., there's a bug in my computer. You may have heard that. Now, it wasn't really her that coined that phrase. However, she did begin to use the term debugging when it came to software, and she started that whole process about bugs in your computer. So next time you get mad at your computer and say, there's a stinking bug in my computer, think of Grace Hopper. Grace became a commander in the Navy and went to retire following World War II. Um, She was out of the Navy for about... 80 days when they determined they needed her because they were not keeping up with some of the calculations on the computers they were using at the time, and they asked her to come back, which she did. When she retired, she retired as a rear admiral in the Navy. Now, that's the equivalent of a brigadier general. Um, She was, at that point, one of four women rear admirals in the Navy. Quite an incredible lady. She retired after 43 years of service in the Navy. The longest serving active person at that time. Active woman at that time. And she retired at age 80 on the USS Constitution. Isn't that incredible? I, I, you know, this is a person who, uh, who went against all the, the cultural norms of her day and used all the gifts that she was given to do all that she could. And she found out she had gifts she didn't even know she had because the Navy said, you're in the Navy now. This is what you're going to do. I, I, I saw her on a video clip, which was really interesting, explaining a nanosecond. And she had a visual. And it was a little cord about that long. The, how long it takes a particle to go a nanosecond or how far they could go or something along those lines. I don't get it because it's way beyond me. But she, she understood it and, and it was just incredible. The, the gifts she was given and, and the way she was able to use them and put them to work and, and the way she stepped out and, and took chances and the way she went beyond what most people would do and the way the barriers didn't seem to get in her way. She didn't try to push her way in. She just simply said, no, I believe this is where I want to go and this is what I want to do. And she went there and she did it. By the way, Wednesday is Veterans Day, isn't it? Isn't it Wednesday? Wednesday is Veterans Day. If you're a veteran here today, would you stand up, please? Veterans, please stand up. If you're a veteran, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. 
Yeah, you may be seated. Uh, men and women in the United States uh, Armed Forces um, continually, continually do this kind of thing. Um, they, they go where other people would not go. They, they step out. They, they take their gifts and they use them and they discover new gifts as they continue to work. Um, and they, they sometimes do things they never thought they could or would do. And we are blessed for people who are like that. I want to suggest to you this morning that there are people like that today who serve in another kingdom. Some of them serve in both kingdoms. Some of them serve in the United States Armed Forces, but they also serve in the kingdom of our God. And they are people of grace. Now, The interesting thing about grace is you are a person of grace, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. You see, you become a person of grace because God bestows upon you his grace. Even people who are not followers of Jesus Christ understand this because they'll say things, but for the grace of God, have you ever heard that? But for the grace of God, go out. Well, why do you say that? You don't even believe in God. Well, well, because they understand that there are things that are beyond their control that only God someone outside of them can control. And the truth of the matter is only that God can control. And when you receive something that's beyond your control, that then is an act of grace of God. It's God's unmerited favor. It's not because of who you are. It's not because you are special. It's because God has bestowed upon you some grace. And I want you to think this morning... Now, see, this makes it really easy because you could say every person here this morning is a person of grace because God has acted upon them. But what I want you to think of this morning is not just people upon whom God has acted, but people who have taken that grace and put it to work. Taken that grace and put it to work. These are people of grace. And Paul, in this morning's passage, wants to give thanks for people of grace, people who have received the grace of God. And I believe he would encourage them and us to take that grace and put it to work. First of all, people of grace are people who have been enriched. Obviously, these are people who have received from God, right? And we usually think of grace as the forgiveness of God, and that's a part of God's grace. And so people who have a rich life in Christ are people who recognize that they've been forgiven by Christ, and that's where it all begins. And if you've never experienced or or opened yourself to God's forgiveness, then you've never received that part of his grace, and I encourage you to do that this morning because it will transform your life. Because he wants to work his forgiveness in your life. He wants to remove from you all those things that you've been carrying around that that you've done in the past. Those things that, that you wish you could change. You ever sit there and say, man, I wish I could go back and change that. But you can't change that. But Jesus can forgive that. And he wants to take that away from you. But that's up to you. His grace is available for you this morning to say, yes, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to remove these sins from me. And if you ask him to do that, he will do that. And he will no longer hold you accountable for those things. you understand how that works? That's incredible. That gift of grace that Jesus offers. But a person of grace has not just received that. They've received even more. A person of grace is a person who has received gifts from God that that are just amazing in their eyes. 
They're creative people. There are people who, who like to get involved. There are people who um, recognize that God's at work. There are people that have been transformed, and because they've been transformed, they, they work out that grace in their lives. Let me give you an example, okay? So the people of Corinth uh, thought that they spoke in tongues, and because of that, God had blessed them greatly. And the truth of the matter is, when you receive a spiritual gift from God, that is a blessing. And God wants to give you many spiritual gifts. So don't, don't look at your spiritual gifts inventory and say, this is all I got. All right? Uh, those are things that are obvious to you. But every once in a while, God will step up to you and say, listen, you're in the kingdom now. I got something more for you to do. I got a new gift for you. So, so don't be shut off to that. Recognize that God has gifted you in many ways. Now, the people in Corinth thought that they had special speaking. They didn't have special speaking. Paul wanted them to see that any follower of Jesus Christ was speaking in the Spirit. This is what he says in, in the second chapter, verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. What's the most found word in that, that verse? Yes, say it real loud. Spirit. The Spirit is what that's all about. And when you're a person of grace, the Spirit of God is at work in your life. And it's amazing to see what God will do. And it's not about you, it's about what God is doing. So the Apostle Paul wants him to be clear in Corinth. It's not about your speaking in tongues, it's about the Spirit of God speaking through you. And more importantly, when the Spirit of God speaks through you with spiritual wisdom and spiritual words, it doesn't necessarily mean it's words that other people don't understand. As a matter of fact, he would suggest, I believe, from the book of Corinthians, that better speech would be words that everybody understands that talk about the spiritual realities of life. In other words, a person of grace is constantly talking about what the Spirit of God is doing in their lives. You with me? So, I want you to think about people you know who constantly talk about what God is doing in their lives. They're they're excited about what God has been doing and what God might do. And they're open to anything that God might decide to do. I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, I want you to see that, that the Corinthians were blessed, not because they were special people, but because God's grace fall, fell upon them and gave them an understanding of the Spirit. And so in Colossians, we're told, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, constantly being open to the Spirit of God and watching God at work so that you're able to see how God is putting things together. You ever stop and say, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't get where we're headed here. How does this all fit together? And so you're sitting there saying, I don't get it. I don't understand it. If you are a person of grace, you step back and you say, okay, I may not understand this, but I believe that God has a plan. By the way, God is a God of order, not disorder, folks. God has a plan. So you step back and you say, okay, I don't understand how this is all fitting together, so I'm going to step back a minute, and I'm going to ask the Spirit to be at work. And as the Spirit begins to work, you begin to see how things begin to put together. Do you understand it all? I don't. If you do, see me afterwards. I want to talk to you. I don't get it all but I begin to see bits and pieces of what the Spirit of God is doing. 
in, the li- in my life and in the lives of others. And all of a sudden, it begins to make a little more sense. If you're saying to yourself, I don't get what life is all about. My life isn't making any sense this morning. I would encourage you to step back and ask the Spirit of God to come upon you and to begin to give you some idea of what He's doing. And then trust Him in that and watch. For I believe that God is at work in your life. Now, the Corinthians thought they were smarter than everybody else, too. And they had this pride thing going on. You notice that? We're special. The Apostle Paul wants them to see that their understanding comes from the Spirit of God. Their speech comes from the Spirit of God. They have nothing about which to brag. They have every right to humbly stand before God. And to experience God's grace in their lives. You want to look for a person of grace? Look for a person who is humble. Those are people filled with grace. Because it's not about them. It's about what God's doing in their lives. What about you? Are you a person of grace? Is it about what God's doing in your life? Or is, this, or is it all about you? When you go to work and, and you, you come up with a, an answer, you do something that the boss says, wow, that was great, you did a great job. Is your response, yeah, you better believe it, I expect a bonus. Or, or is your response, yeah, well, I have a Savior who helps me, encourages me, and shows me the way. The Spirit of God is at work. Is it about you or is it about Him? God's unmerited favor is what grace is. And people of grace don't only have enriched lives, they have expectant lives. They are eager. The Apostle Paul says um, they, are, they eagerly await to see what God is going to do. Uh, they're excited about what God's doing and they expect God to do something. Do you expect God to do something? Uh, if you have a dog or uh, in particular a dog, you know what it's like to have someone expect because whether or not you feed them from the table, um, they are more than likely uh, sitting there once in a while anyway and they'll look at you. And they don't look at you because they think you're good looking. They're looking at you for one reason. They want what you have in your hand. And yes, and then you can experience the gift of sharing, yes. Uh, and, and, and so as they're looking at you, uh, they're expectant. Their, their eyes are wide open and they're expecting. A believer in Jesus Christ, uh, filled with grace, is always expecting God to do something. Always expecting God to do something. Not always clear what it's going to be, which is what really makes it exciting. Because you never know what God's going to decide to do. Uh, You may have an inkling and you may be looking in a certain direction, but, but you don't know. Sometimes God steps in in some incredible way. And sometimes in a miraculous way. And all of a sudden, there he is. So a, a person of grace embraces new things. They don't sit back. They understand that in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. All has become new, as Second Corinthians tells us. All has become new. So they're, they're expectant. They're expecting new things. 
yesterday we had the, the memorial service for Dean Good. And one of the things that always, always just blew me away about Dean Good is he wanted to know more about the computer all the time. Now, some of us, you know, we get to a certain point, and that's good enough for me. Um, Dean, at 91 years old, was still using the computer on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, he was probably 87 uh, when he started uh, grabbing, uh, getting sermons from here to share with the people at College View. And he realized that those sermons, um, sometimes our recording was louder and softer because, you know, sometimes I talk loud and sometimes I talk softly. And he realized that the people at College View couldn't hear the whole sermon. So what does he do? He finds out that on his computer he can get software that will help him edit the sound volume on the, of, of the sermon. And so he edits the sound volume. He edited my sermons. I said, Dean, you're really trying to cut out the parts you don't like. I know what you're doing. <laughs> no, uh, but, but he wasn't really doing that. What he was doing was he was making it so everybody could hear. He recognized that this was an opportunity for him, this computer was an opportunity for him to make a difference for the kingdom of God. It wasn't about him. It was about what would happen for the kingdom of God. Dean Good taught himself how to play the piano at age 80. That, to me, is wild. At age 80, he expected new things. He believed that in Christ he was a new creation. The old was gone. All things had become new. And I'm just so excited. I can't wait to get to heaven and see him totally new. I can't wait for that day. But you see, Dean understood. Dean got it. He walked around with his eyes wide open, looking, expecting God to do things. the other person that I always think of when I think of a person of grace who had their wise, eyes wide open uh, was Jeanette Bemis Locke. Um, because if you told her something that God was doing in your life, her eyes got big, her mouth got big, she was smiling, she was excited about what God was doing in your life. That's a person of grace. People who lack grace, when they see God at work, they go, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Are you excited about even the little things God is doing in your life? Or have you gotten bored? Start looking. God has great things to do. You know, Steve Jobs, uh, of course, you know, what was that company he formed? Apple, that's right, yeah. Uh, This is what he said, everyone here at his company has the sense that right now is one of those moments when we are influencing the future. Think about that. When you work for the kingdom of God as a person of grace right now, you should have the sense that this is one of those moments when you are influencing the future. Will that transform your life? You bet. Because God is at work in and through you as a person of grace to transform the world. And as you do those things, your eyes are wide open, expecting God to do great things and waiting to see Jesus come back. It's a person of grace. Lastly, I want you to see a person of grace is strong. Notice that the Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end. He will keep you strong 
to the end. He will help you stand firm. Now, one reason you can stand firm is because as a person of grace, you've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And if you are forgiven, you stand forgiven. And that gives you confidence. When people come around and say, yeah, but I knew you win. I knew what you did win. If you've been following the... the, uh, political campaigns, which I know you all have painstakingly been following so that you'll make the right choice for president. Uh, If you follow that at all, you know that one of the things that happens in this whole process is that everything they've ever done in their entire life begins to be brought to light. And and so these poor people who are, I shouldn't say poor, they're not poor, but I mean these... um, these people who are trying to uh, get you to vote for them have other people going around saying, yeah, but did you know what they did? Did you know what they did? Did you know what they did? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have people say to you, how can you say God works in you? Don't you remember all those things you've done? that were? Don't you remember yesterday when you weren't the example Christ called you to be? Don't you remember when you acted poorly? Don't you remember when you treated that person as they shouldn't have been treated? Don't you remember? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, filled with grace, you can say, yes, I remember that. Thank God I'm forgiven. And I'm standing firm. It's not because of my own strength, but because of the power of Jesus in my life. And as a person of grace, you can stand firm, and and even when the storms come, you simply bow your head and you say, okay, Jesus, here I am. I'm standing for you. Why? Because I know your grace is sufficient for me. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? He struggled with weaknesses in his life, but this is what he knew. He knew that God's grace was sufficient for him, that in his weakness, Christ would be faithful and show That his power, Christ's power was enough. This is what he said. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. A person of grace is not ashamed of their weakness. They recognize in their weakness the power of the Almighty God. They are some of the most humble people you will ever meet. And they are the strongest people you'll ever meet. I hear sometimes people say, well, humble people, you know, they're, they're, they're just, you know, doormats to be walked on. The truth of the matter is a person who is truly humble is one of the strongest people you will ever meet. Because they will proclaim the goodness of God in their life. And if you try to step on them, they will be so strong that it'll hurt your foot. And you'll stumble over them. And if you're one of the ones that's trying to point out their weaknesses, you stumble right over them because they'll say, yeah, that's who I am. But in Christ, I am someone else. His power is at work in me. He is faithful. Even in the darkest moments of their lives, a person of grace will still hold firm to the fact that Jesus is faithful. And in that, you will see incredible strength, incredible power. People of grace. Who do you know who is a person of grace? More importantly, would people see you as a person of grace? 
God has bestowed upon you many different forms of grace. He's given you gifts. He's given you uh, uh, blessings uh, unnumbered. Every one of you, you say, well, Pastor, I don't see all that in my life. Stop a minute. We used to sing this song, Count Your Blessings. You remember that song? Count your blessings. Important to stop and see what God is doing in your life. And as you begin to see that, begin to recognize it's not because of who you are. It's because of the incredible love of our almighty God who wants to make a difference in your life. He wants to change the world through you. Jesus met with 12 people and turned the world upside down. You are more than 12. I see more than 12 this morning. Quite a bit more. Can you imagine what Jesus could do if we accepted his grace and served him with our whole being, stood firm in his love, shared that grace and that mercy with others? Can you imagine what he would do to Greenfield Township, what he would do to Erie County, what he might do to Pennsylvania, or maybe even the United States, or perhaps even parts of the world, maybe even turn the world upside down? By his grace. By his grace. To change you. To change the world. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, there are times in our lives when we are convinced that there's nothing we can do. Forgive us this morning. And remind us that you are all-powerful and you can do something. And remind us to trust in you. Make us a graceful people. Not a judgmental people. But a loving and forgiving people. Who yet stand firm for your grace, for your mercy, and for your word. Teach us, Lord to expect your hand to work, to eagerly anticipate how you will move in our lives and to be ready to work with you and allow you to work through us. Lord, we pray for those who came this morning who don't have that relationship with you, who are carrying around that load of guilt of things that have gone a long time ago even. And Lord, they, they carry it around. And if someone mentions it, they're terrified and, and embarrassed and, and ready to run and hide. Lord Jesus, this morning, we pray that they would open their hearts to you. That you could come in and forgive those things. That when others would mention them, they wouldn't have to run and hide, but rather they could say, yes, but I have been forgiven by the love of Jesus Christ and by the price he paid on my behalf. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that those who came downhearted would be lifted up, recognizing that you are at work, that you haven't left them alone, and that your grace will be sufficient. Even in their weakness, you will come and work great things as they trust in you. And Lord Jesus, we pray for those who came this morning recognizing your hand at work in their lives. We pray, Father, that they would do even more as you call them as a part of the kingdom to serve you in ways they never expected. Come, Lord Jesus, transform our lives, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.